You're listening to a Calvary and Adults podcast, a ministry out of Calvary Baptist Church, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Calvary Young Adults is a midweek worship gathering of those in the Durham region who are between the ages of 18 and 30. We love the Lord, proclaim His Word, and celebrate His goodness. This podcast series is a release of the sermons from Thursday evenings. In today's episode, Pastor Nick talks about the character of Esther. Let's listen now. Good evening, my friends, and thank you for tuning in, and I hope we can have a dialogue together as we tune into another uh, week of digging deep into God's Word, and this month we are looking at character matters, women matter in our ministry. So last week we looked at Deborah, and we looked at different characteristics of this amazing woman that God called to use in the midst of chaos and just harm and turmoil for God's people. And one of the things that we looked at last week was this cycle of sin that we begin to see in the, in the Bible that takes place from, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. This cycle of God's people, they begin to understand God's word, they look to God, and then certain things happen in their life. And then they start to drift from God and their leaders, sometimes the leaders don't step up and correct. And eventually the heart moves away and then they go after other things, and then they're far from God. Then God will bring a correction, usually some oppression that will come in, maybe from an outside uh, country or a, a, an outside group of people that will come in and bring God's people into captivity. And then that cycle would continue where God's people would not like that, so they would turn their eyes back to God. They would pray, seek him. God would hear from heaven. And God would intervene. And last week when we looked at Deborah, Deborah was a judge. And God used Deborah to help with the people to turn their hearts back to God. And we, we learned about their faith and how God worked in extraordinary ways. And how he used Deborah and Barak and just different people in that scenario. So if you haven't heard that sermon, uh, that's still available for you to check out. We, we looked at Deborah last week. This week we will be looking at a woman from the Bible, from the Old Testament. And her name is Ezra. So tonight we're going to be, or we're going to look at Esther, not Ezra, Esther. So we're going to start with this cycle of sin again. And what I've learned when you look at the captivity and the bondage and God's people turning to God and seeking him and God sending someone to help and intervene and rescue, one of the things that we always see is God always sends a care package after for those who are hurting. So God always brings, he always has servants ready to care for his people. When we look back in the Old Testament and we see that the Babylonians, when they came in and they defeated Judah, we see the prophet Jeremiah, who is also known as the weeping prophet, he would go and he would minister to the poor and all the Jews who were left in the land. And that story is pretty hard. If you read the book of Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet because he is going to God's people and he's pleading with them to turn their hearts back to God. But they don't. It's just a depressing book for, for God's people. When they had, they had the word of God, they had a person who trusted the word of God, who was sharing the word of God, and the people didn't listen. But God sent a care package through the prophet Jeremiah to care for those who needed to be cared for. And when you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel ministered in the exile. So we, when you look at their timeline, Ezekiel's down the bottom, Daniel's up at the top, and Ezekiel begins to minister to the Jews that are in Babylon. 
And then as you look, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, these are all prophets by God. They were ministers to the 50,000 Jews that returned to the land when they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. But not all Jews went back to Jerusalem when Cyprus said, you can go back. We see that during the 70-year reign of, of, of captivity, that the Jews were, were in captivity away from their homeland in Babylon, ruled by Persian government. We know during that 70 years that there was probably, there's at least two, but most likely three generations of children that were born during that time. So a lot of those generations, kind of like our generations, we hear stories from our, our grandparents. And they talk about the land that they came from. And these, these older Jews from the land, they remembered the, the stories, they passed the stories back down. But there was generations that were growing up. And when they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, the, to go back to Israel, to go back to, the, to their land, some of the generations didn't go. They just stayed they just stayed where they were because all that they knew their whole life was Persian, Persian life. That was what they grew up with. They, they understood it. They, they, they knew how to just navigate that culture really well because that's all they knew. And they just didn't go back to, to, the, to the promised land, to, the, the, their, to their home. And two of the Jews that stayed back in, in the Persian place was a man named Mordecai and his... And, I'm not saying this, this is what the Bible says, his beautiful cousin, his beautiful cousin's name was Hadassah, which was, would be her Jewish name, and, or it would be translated as Myrtle. I thought that was pretty funny, I learned that this week, Myrtle was her name, I didn't know that. So Hadassah was her name, and it was also translated Myrtle. But she was also given a Persian name, and the Persian name was Esther. So she was uh, an orphan. Esther was an orphan, or Hadassah, Myrtle, Esther, whatever name you want to use. She was an orphan. So we don't know what happened to her parents. Did they die in captivity? We don't know. But what we do know is that Esther came under and was adopted by her uncle Mordecai. And Mordecai taught her the law. He taught her about Jewish land. He taught her about their ancestors. He poured into her, and she grew up learning understanding, trusting Mordecai. The Bible records that Mordecai was at the, the, the king's gate, and the king's gate often would reveal that Mordecai most likely had a small, a small position in the government. See, we don't know why. It doesn't really, it's not really clear why these two stayed back in, in the Persian place, in captivity, but as we can see through God's provision and providence that God held these people back because they were rescuers of the people of God. Tonight we're going to look at the reason why the character of Esther was used in a mighty way by God and for God's people. Let me pray. God, we love you and we just thank you that we get to open up your word and we get to dig deep and we get to learn about all kinds of great people. And tonight we're looking at the character of Esther. God, we know that this girl is an orphan child who is growing up in captivity and the things that happen to her put her in prime position to be used by you. And a lot of us will be in those positions ourselves, but we won't know what to do. We won't know what decision to make and oftentimes we'll choose ourselves over others. So God, help us to learn from Esther's story tonight that we can be used by you, male, female, God uses us both to do great things for his name. And I pray that you would give us teachable hearts as we dive in. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, let's jump in. If you, uh, you have your Bibles at home, let's go to the book of Esther. It's not really that big of a book. We're going to cover the whole book tonight. So usually what I usually do is I kind of, whoever we're talking about, I list a bunch of characteristics, and then I, I kind of craft a sermon that's like, hey, be like that person, or don't be like that person. Tonight we're not going to do that. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to cover the whole book really quick, within 29 minutes. 22 minutes. I have a timer and I will be done. So we're going to look at the whole book of Esther. The characters of Esther, when we're looking at the book, as you're reading along, can be divided into two groups that I'm using as the the nobodies and the somebodies. So we have two groups of people in this book. They're the nobodies and they are the somebodies. And we're going to look and see how God uses the nobodies to challenge the somebodies. And we're going to see how the nobodies actually become the somebodies. So let's dive in and look at that. Esther 1. The book opens with the gathering of the somebodies. See, the book opens with this big banquet hosted by the Persian king Xerxes. This banquet is particularly for the somebodies. This is a a pompous, rich display of majesty, of worth, and all of the kingsmen and all the people of importance are at this party. The banquet is literally about showing off how rich the king was, how powerful he was, how powerful the people that were in the room were, and how amazing and how prideful this king was. So when you open up the pages of Esther and you begin to read in the first chapter, you're going to come, we, we come and we start with a party. You see the, the king, the royal guard, and, and all the somebodies at this point. And what is happening is they're having this festival. It's like 100 plus days. I think it's like 184 days. Um, they're having this big party, partying. And then they have this smaller party, this last seven-day party. And at the time that we pick up the story, this is within the last end of the seven days. And they're probably wasted. It actually says that the king is pretty intoxicated. So the king is wasted. They're at this party. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's acting a fool. And then the king decides, my wife is hot. It actually says that. Not those words, but she was attractive and beautiful. And the king decides that he's going to take his wife and bring her down because she's having her co-party. She's got, they have a man party and they have a woman party and she's at the woman party and he says, go get my wife. Go get the queen, go get Queen Vashi and bring her here because I want to show the men how beautiful she is. I want to parade her around in front of them to show off her beauty in front of all my drunk friends. Doesn't that sound like a party? Any wives would like to do that? I don't think so. Well, Queen Vashi didn't want to do that either and she actually refused the king. She told her husband, no, I'm not doing that. And that little moment right there made the king embarrassed. And then she wouldn't come down, so the king and his, and his council decide that they have to put an edict together and they have to talk about how these women are disobeying these men and if you let this happen with Queen Vashi, you know what's going to happen? This word is going to get out into the places and all of our wives are going to stop listening to us because of what she's doing right now. Deal with it, king. So the word of God actually declares that She was disposed of. She was removed. And most likely, people don't know what happened to her, but most likely she got killed. Which is a tragedy because she didn't want to be paraded around like that. So this is where we're at in the story. Queen Vashi refuses to come down to her husband's request, embarrassing the king in front of all the somebodies, and then she's disposed of or killed. After Queen Vashi's removal, the king sends out an edict to all the provinces admonishing during saying that each man is ruler over his household and every woman is to be respectful to her husband. 
Esther 1.16. What we fail to notice is the text doesn't explain how the king plans to enforce this rule uh, of the rolling out of the edict, but this at least gets the people around him off his back. So what we know is they're at a party, they get drunk, his wife refuses to come down, an edict goes out through all of the country that wives need to respect their husbands, party shuts down, king goes off to war. That's the first chapter. King goes off to war. He's known as a, a, an intense warrior. They conquer many places. Wherever they go, they conquer. A lot of people compare this army to some of the armies that were in the 300 movie, the Persian Xerxes, that kind of army of coming forth, and they would just come in and conquer. At this place, they just left a party, pompous party, rich party, I'm in charge, I'm the best, I'm amazing. He does this thing to his wife, he goes off to war, and he loses. And this becomes the downfall of, of this moment. He comes home, and he's, he's, he's coming home a loser. After just standing in front of everybody saying, like, I'm the best, he comes home, and he's licking, licking his wounds, and he comes back to the castle, he comes back to his, his throne, and he doesn't have a wife. Now, kings back then had something called a harem, and a harem was a group of ladies that they could sleep with at any time. But this king, King Xerxes, knew he was smart enough to realize that you can't leave the queen's space empty. You need a queen. You need a king and a queen need to rule together. It's just not right for having a king. Even he knew that. So he, he got with his council. He didn't go to the harem. He went to his council, and he said, I need a queen. So these ma magical and, and fun-loving, brainstorming guys come together. It's like an Apple meeting. And they decide, hey, this is what we're going to do. We got a great idea, king. You're going to love it. We're going to send an edict. We're going to send a, a notice through all of the provinces. And we're going to have a beauty contest. And the, the, the prettiest women, we're going to bring them here. And you can select one. And she can become the queen. Really? That's, how, that's, that's Persian dating back then. Like, you have a... You have a a beauty contest, and the women are pampered and, and prepped, and then whoever's selected from that province will go to the big, the, the capital, Susa, and then the queen will, will be picked out of that. This is chapter two. The king returns home from war, no queen, needs a woman. A beauty contest is held. All the women are brought to the province of Susa. They, the, the reason Maybe one of them will be our queen. And this is where we meet the character Esther. Now Esther is a Jewish woman. And she is picked, chosen to go into this contest. It is important for us to realize that Esther didn't choose this. And her uncle didn't force her. Like, you got to do this. It's great for our family. It'll help the family name. Go do this. That wasn't there. There was a local counselor, the Bible talks about, the scriptures say, a local counselor that saw her and saw that she was beautiful saw that she was pleasant to the eye, and she was selected to be part of this contest to go and be pampered, and then eventually, if she got picked, she would go off to Susa and eventually get before the king. This is chapter two. So she is told she has to go, and she refuses to go. It's literally like refusing the king, and we know what happens when you refuse the king, off with your head. So she decides, like, oh, I better go. She goes and talks to her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai, what do you think? I need to go. She goes. In Esther's heart, in her mind, she doesn't think that she's going to be chosen for anything because she's a nobody. And she's going into the place where there's a bunch of somebodies. And usually a nobody is not recognized, and a nobody usually doesn't become a somebody. So in her heart, she thought, hey, I'm being chosen. I'm 
being told to go. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go. It doesn't matter anyway. I'm a nobody. I'm going to go in. I'm, going to get, I'm not going to get chosen, and I'm going to be out before I know it. I'll be back with Uncle Mordecai. Party goes on. That doesn't happen. Esther is beautiful. She, she does go, and she is selected. So this Esther, an orphan, Jewish, and nobody, a nobody, she's put forth. She's told to go. And before you know it, she's in the running. The Lord had a great plan for this nobody. This nobody was about to become a somebody, and the somebody was about to be used greatly by God to rescue people from certain death. We don't know what God will do with our lives, male or female. God can use us. And we're seeing that in this scripture, in this word, that God is using this woman at this particular time for a great plan, and she thinks that she's a nobody, but God thinks that she's a somebody. And God set up the right atmosphere for her to shine. Let's talk about that right now. God's name is not mentioned in the book. We don't see the name of God or Jesus mentioned anywhere in the book. But the providence of God, the guiding hand of God is seen throughout the whole book. Esther went forth indeed and, when she, and she was called to do what she, she was told to do. We know that when Daniel was called forward and he was told to eat a certain thing and when uh, Ezekiel was told to do a certain thing, they rejected the king. They stood up to the king, but Esther was called forward and she listened. She, was, she ate what she was supposed to eat. She dressed the way she was supposed to dress. She listened intently to the things of God because she, she didn't know what was going to happen. And this doesn't mean that she was faithless. She was going along. And one of the things that I, was, I like to say and I train in my training is trust the process. If you've been un, under my leadership at any time, you've probably heard me say, well, as we're going through this, we're going to trust the process. We're going to lift our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're going to step up and we don't know what tomorrow holds. We know who holds tomorrow. We need to trust the process. And this is exactly what Esther is doing. She's trusting the process. She's going forth. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but God did. And the story reveals that she does get to the kingdom. She gets to Susa. And then one night, Mordecai goes up. He's trying to find out. He's working with one of the local eunuchs that's been assigned to the females and really assigned to look after Esther. And he goes up and he gets some information. How's she doing? Is she doing okay? He's getting this information. That night, he goes back. He goes to the king's gate. And when he's going back to the king's gate, God puts him in the right position at the right time. God has a has a has a way of doing that, don't you think? He puts us in the right place at the right time for the right things. And Mordecai walks by and he sees two of these guards and what they're doing is they're conspiring to kill the king. They're conspiring to kill the king. Mordecai finds out about this, brings it to Esther. Esther brings it to the king and these two are caught and they're killed. He reports it to Esther, tells the king. They're hung actually. And then it says that Esther told the king that Mordecai was the one who gave her the information and Mordecai's name was put in the annals. It's this rec record of, of things that are happening. And, and they actually had this other book we're going to learn a little bit later in the book uh, about rewards. Sometimes your name would go in and you would get these rewards. So God put Mordecai, Mordecai at the, the right place at the right time. He helps the king, saves his life. His name goes in the book, but no reward comes. 
We're going to see later that that roar was being kept for an important time. And sometimes when we think we deserve credit, when we think we deserve something, and we're just, we're just anxious for that, we want our name in lights, we want these things, God sometimes withholds blessing to see what we're going to do. God sometimes withholds blessing so that he can use it later. And sometimes God just stores that blessing in heaven. And it teaches us a great lesson to not fix our eyes on possessions. And Mordecai didn't freak out. He didn't say, hey, where's my reward? I saved your life. He just let it be. Mordecai is still considered a nobody, but Esther becomes a, becomes a somebody. Esther becomes queen, and the nobody becomes a somebody very quickly. And now this somebody has influence. And it's amazing how God can take an orphan who's been left behind, and her family is going back, and she's her friends and family are going back. She has one family member, her, her uncle. She's left here. She's considered a nobody in a place that's not her own, and God used her. We move into Esther chapters 3 to 6, and the title of this is called A Nobody Who Thinks He's a Somebody. A Nobody Who Thinks He's a Somebody. In these chapters, a nobody who thinks he's a somebody is introduced right away. The nobody's name is Haman. He is suddenly introduced into the story and he's being promoted by the king without any explanation why. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say what happened. Mordecai had saved the king's life and received no reward. But, and for no apparent reason that we can see, Haman was appointed to the highest of the royal officials. So some would say Haman no doubt flattered his way into the king's favor. He became the king's number two in charge and he did everything to make the king look good. Haman was promoted, and he was he, this nobody who thought he was a somebody, who was influenced, used his way to flatter, use flattery to get to a position, and then used that position to exploit. What Haman would do is he would, go through the, he would go through the places, the provinces, and he would make sure that people would bow to him. And then one day, they just happened to be going through, and Haman was there with his royal pompous parade, and he gets to the place where Mordecai is at the king, and Mordecai sees him, and Haman is getting everyone to bow, and Mordecai does not bow. And this makes Haman mad. And he tells him to bow, and he says, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow to you. And there, right there, begins a feud between these two men. Mordecai and Haman have this feud within chapters uh, 6 to 9. Is that right? Yeah, 3 to 6. Chapters 3 to 6. See, Haman wants everybody, he wants to show everyone he's a somebody and tries to make everyone who's a nobody bow before him. And Mordecai saw through this, he refused to bow down to Haman. This creates a huge feud between Haman and Mordecai. Haman gets mad at Mordecai, and not just at Mordecai, but who Mordecai represents. And for some reason, Haman knew that Mordecai represented the Jews. So Haman was not just out for Mordecai, he was out for all the Jews all because Mordecai wouldn't bow down. Should he have bowed down? I don't know. Let's see. As the story develops, Haman's hate grows into an obsession. And Haman could have arranged easily for a secret, secret assassination to happen with Mordecai. He was that high in the government. He could have had this happen to Mordecai. But being a crafty man, he develops a plan so that Mordecai would offend the king and then Haman would be able to tell the king to kill all the Jews. See, Haman wanted to... See, the king comes home from war 
It costs a lot of money to go to war. The king lost a bunch of money. Haman comes in and tells the king, like, hey, the Jews, like, they don't speak our language. They're foreigners. They're not supposed to be here. They have lots of stuff. If we kill them all, we can take their stuff. We can replenish the armory. We can, Haman wants not just to kill the Jews, but he wants their wealth. So he's a greedy man. And he, he's able to trick the, queen, or trick the king to put this edict out that would say that all the Jews are to be killed. So we're seeing that not only this feud that starts with not bowing, but now the Jews are being, they have an edict come through, all the provinces on scrolls saying that you are going to die. They're going to kill them all. All the Jews who are left that didn't go back home are going to be killed. This is an intense story. These three chapters record the edict that the Jews would be killed and their property could be collected. And what happens? Esther steps up. Esther, this orphan who is, who, who's a nobody, who becomes a somebody, she goes to Mordecai and she says, Mordecai, you have to pray and you have to fast. And they call a prayer and a fast to all the Jews. And Mordecai goes into the public square mourning. He tears his robes. Esther hears about him tearing his robes and being in the, in the, in the streets and he, she sends the eunuch to, to bring him clothing because of the king's edict. And the king's edict is that the people are going to die. And then Mordecai sends a message back to Esther saying, you will not be spared. They will find out that you are a Jew. Don't think just because you are the queen that you will be spared. Esther needs to craft a plan. She needs to go and seek counsel and speak for the Jews. But here's the thing. In the royal community there, they had rules. And you can't just approach the king. You have to be called by the king. You had to be called in and uh, given permission to speak, even if you're the wife, even if you're the queen. And actually, the Bible records at this time that Esther was not able to come in. She was actually banned for 30 plus days. And by that time, the Jews would be dead. So Esther needs to break the rule. If she breaks the rule, they're going to kill her. So she has a predicament. What do I do? Do I save myself? Do I save my people? A lot of us will come into areas in our lives where we may have those types of crossroads. Where God has brought us to a certain place at a certain time and we will either defend God's name or we'll defend our own name. And the Bible speaks that those who speak on behalf of God, Jesus will speak on behalf of them. And there are many times where we are put in positions where we back up because we're afraid of man. And this is one of those positions, but it's just a greater, it's a greater story with greater stakes, but it's still applicable to us. Now Esther is at a place where the people are going to die, the edict is there. She's forbidden to go and see the king for 30 days. And that would be too late. The lives of the Jews are on the line. What is Esther to do? What is she supposed to do? What would you do? Would you put your life on the line for another? Would you put your life on the line for a nation? Mordecai warns her that God will save his people even if she stays silent, but she will perish and her father's house too because she didn't speak up when, he had, when she had the opportunity to intercede. And Esther tells Mordecai to go and fast and pray for three days, and she and her ladies did the same, pray and fast for three days. She declares after those prayer the prayer for three days and the fasting, that she will go to speak to the king and she says, I will speak to the king and if I perish, I will perish. 
This is a, this is a powerful moment in the story. We move into Esther 7 to 10, and this is where we see that a nobody overcomes. It's where the nobody overcomes. Once again, we see the province of God taking place in the story where during a meeting where, where she's not invited, she went in to request counsel with the king, and in front of everyone, it looks like the queen once again is going rogue. But at this moment, she walks in, and the king sees her, catches her eye, and he extends the scepter. A granted opportunity to speak. Esther pleads, she takes that full opportunity and pleads for the Jews against Haman in front of all of the somebodies. But this time, she's, a no, she's not a nobody, she's a somebody. She's the queen's wife and the, queen, and the king has fallen in love with the queen. And she now has authority to speak and she tells about the plot and how Haman wanted to kill the Jews. And what is the king gonna do? Is he gonna listen to his wife or is he gonna listen to the workers? Because the last time he listened to his workers, he looked like a fool and his queen died. One night, the king could not sleep. He, the Bible records that that meeting ends and that he couldn't sleep. He requests, the king requests the book of memorial deeds to be brought to him. This, this king's up. He can't sleep. He's like, go get the book, the memorial deed book. So the memorial deed book is brought into him, and the memorial deed book is, is a book that has all of the rewards that needs to go to the people. And he's reading this book, and upon reading, he sees that Mordecai, was the one who saved him, and Mordecai was a Jew. God saved the reward for a different time so that he could place it there so at this particular time, God used a pagan king to see his plan. The king is so moved by the remembrance of this, he asks, what has been done for this Jew, for this one who has saved my life? And they said, nothing, nothing has been done. So he gets up the next day, and he's, he's, got, he's stoked. Like, he's excited. He wants to bless this guy. He's helped him, and he's a Jew. Haman is coming in, and he's getting ready to, per, to, to give a story about Mordecai to the king. And actually, Haman and his wife have crafted up a plan and put, like, a huge gallow uh, to hang him in front of everyone. It's already built. We're just going to get the king's approval. We're going to bring Mordecai. Haman's strolling in with, the, with everything ready to say. And the, as, right when he's about to say it, the king stops him and says, hey, I got a job for you to do. Haman steps back and says, okay, what do you want, king? He says, there's this guy that we need to bless. And I'm talking about bless. I'm talking about robes, put a crown on his head, get a ring for his finger. This guy needs to know. He needs a new position. He need, everybody needs to know what this guy has done, how he has saved the king. How he's, he, he needs to be blessed, and the whole nations need to know. Haman's like, done, we'll do it, let's do it. Let's start it today. What's the name? Mordecai. Could you imagine Haman's moment right there? The story goes that Mordecai is blessed. The Jews are saved. And Haman, the one who came against God's people, he was the one who died on the gallows that day. The king outlines a royal blessing. Mordecai is blessed. Esther saves the people. And what we learn from the character of Esther is this, that God does have a plan for his people. And sometimes God puts these plans in play in the hardest of moments. And Dan got up here tonight and he talked about fear. He talked about these hard moments where we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Sometimes we, all we have right now is the word of God and our emotions. 
And sometimes our emotions are leading us away from the word of God. And we feel that everything around us is just falling apart. And sometimes when everything is falling apart, it's a setup for what God can do. And a lot of people bail in those moments. And I believe that God has a plan for his people and God has a care plan for his people. God has a salvation plan for his people. And Esther gives us a great display of trust in the face of persecution. She had to go into that room and she had to say, I have to stare, stare, face, I have to stare death right in its face and I have to be able to say, I'm not afraid. And she said, she declared, if I perish, I perish. Esther gives us, gives up her plans for better plans, the better plans of God, even though she didn't know what those plans of God were. And that's how it works, friends. God does not invite us into the room where all the blueprints are so that we can find our name in the file, pull it out, and put it on the big desk that lights up, and you put your little, your little drawing paper there, and it shows the little architect of details of your life, and, and February and March and January, it's going to be like this, it's going to be great, and you go in there and you steal all that information because you want to know. God doesn't do that. He says, look to me. He says, you don't even get to go in that room. Because you can't handle that information. Because as soon as you start finding out that the things that I'm going to bring you to, you won't trust in me. You'll trust in yourself. You'll trust in man. But I'm saying that your faith is enough. And when, that, when you are weak, I am strong. And I will not leave you or forsake you. And we see this over and over in the New Testament and the Old Testament and the whole 66, 66 council of God's word that God is for his people even in the midst of hardship. So Esther's story teaches us about this. It teaches us that God overcomes. God overcomes evil. God overcomes wickedness. God is an overcomer. He makes us overcomers. And we just finished up a conference with the pastors this week at T4G. And the whole thing was on the book of Hebrews. And the whole storyline was Jesus is greater. And I have to say, he is. Jesus is greater than anything that we will go through but you got to trust him. And Esther gives us a prime example of a nobody who became a somebody who stood in front of wickedness and trusted in the Lord. And the result was God's people were saved and God's name was praised. Esther's story teaches us that we all can trust in God. So here's the question. Are you trusting in God? Are you putting your faith in him tonight? Are you drawing in closer when things don't make sense? Because the majority of us, we go the other way. And I want to tell you, friends, Jesus is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible declares in Romans 8 that he will never leave us or forsake us. And there's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God. So let's move towards God tonight. Let's take an example of Esther. Even though I do not know what, will, what tomorrow holds, I'm going to step up, and if I perish, I perish. I don't think God is calling any of us to perish, but he is calling us to faithfulness. And we can take those steps forward and closer to him every day. So I would recommend, as your pastor, even tonight, get right with the Lord. Seek his counsel by the Holy Spirit. Seek his word. Pray. 
call out to him, repent of your sin, take those steps forward. And you know what? You don't need a huge plan. Just do the same thing tomorrow. When you get up, you put your feet on the ground and you say, this, this is the day the Lord has made. I don't know what's gonna happen today, but I'm gonna trust in the Lord that he is for me. And then you just trust the process throughout the day. Praying, singing spiritual hymns, gathering the people together that you know who are, are close to you, that can give you godly wisdom, and then you make the right choices and move forward. And if you are a Christian, come and gather with the church. God declares that he he is close to the brokenhearted, but he dwells within the praises of his people. And this church is going to be filled on Sunday with one of three services that you can attend. And God's spirit will be here and he will be dwelling within us. And if you are struggling in this season, do not stay home. Come, register tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story that we can peer into in your word. I thank you that Esther who was considered no one, a nobody, trusted in you, and she was a somebody, and she's a somebody for us. God, she is a hero of the faith that we can look at and look to in the book of, of her book, written by her name, and see her faithfulness even in the face of danger. And God, I know that you call your people to various things every day. God, help us to stay true to your word. Help us to not be thrown around like a wave tossed in, in the ocean, double-minded, as James says, God, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we do not know what to do, take counsel from this book. Pray and fast. Seek the Lord. Use the disciplines. God, I pray for your church. I pray that you would continue to minister to us by the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit and the declaration of your holy word. And I pray that your church would gather, that each service would be filled so that your people would be here to hear the messages, to change their lives, and to trust in you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, check out our new podcast series, Living in the 66, a conversational series as we walk through God's word chapter by chapter and seek to discover how we can apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode and until next time, blessings.